Normally, I just don't breathe while we're doing the podcast. It's just good mic etiquette. So. So. Thomas. Ben. Remember that time we did a podcast together? Uh, we called it Obscure Diddy. It's a very vague sort of, like, memory. It's, it's in there with the learning to walk that kind of thing <laughs> so wait, you could say that recording this podcast was foundational yes and uh also for you yeah yeah for me it was meaningless right <laughs> it, was, it was hugely it was hugely foundational in my life i have to say wow yeah well that was then this is now this is now uh this is season the season two premiere of the Obscurigami podcast i thought we called it obscure diddy no. Did we not? No. No. There was probably, probably our show was called Obscura Diddy at some point. Right. But then there was a rift that opened between two parallel universes. And you are from the universe where it was called Obscura Diddy. I am from the universe where we called it Obscura Gami. So Somehow instead of you having... Got, you got switched with the you that exists in my universe or maybe i'm in your universe now we really have no way of knowing this could this feels like my universe it feels like mine i'm gonna be honest (laughs) i think instead of having seasons we should just call them uh parallel universes every time we have to make every time we make a new season Uh it's like a branch like we divide, it splits the universe and creates a new mm-hmm. parallel universe. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's kind of how like any show that has standalone seasons works. Right. Not that we're changing the format of our show in any way. No, no. Mostly we just took a long unintentional break and now have to cover for it in some right. way. We have to pretend like this right. was all this was all part of the plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't because of my broken leg. No. Uh, the, the being in the hospital for eight months with right. leg cancer, <laughs> unrelated, <laughs> same leg. <laughs> Couldn't you believe that? That was crazy. Yeah, that was wild. But they wouldn't let. It's us, a good thing you. They wouldn't let us bring recording equipment in there yeah, or anything so. for obvious reasons. Yeah, would have so. interfered with the leg radiation. Anyway, now we're back with a brand new episode of a brand new show, no longer called Obscura Diddy, now called Obscura Gami. Yes. And this is a show where we talk about obscure things. Yeah. Unlike Obscure Diddy, where we talked about Diddy. <laughs> obscure Diddy. <laughs> obscure Diddies. <laughs> like um, uh, Despacito. Despacito. Oh, wait. In this universe, is that an insanely popular song? No. Oh, okay. We must and that's how we know it's my universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Thomas. And I'm your co-host, Ben. And I guess, Ben, you have a topic for us this week, because I sure don't. Yeah, well, in the tradition of magma, I'm going to reach into my own personal archives and pull out a subject that I'm well-versed in to kick off our season. Right. What what you listeners don't know about Ben is he has kind of a secret when it comes to this show, and that it's kind of like the Hulk in The Avengers where the Hulk is always angry, and that's how he can just become huge at any time. Spoiler alert. Ben is always obscure. So, like, anything he's interested in is obscure. 
naturally. Almost by default. Almost by default. So really, he doesn't have to find obscure topics. He just can talk about something. Right. And you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be obscure. But there's no notes for this. This is all. This is all. This is, this all, is all just off the top of my head. Off the gourd. I actually didn't even consult my sources. Wow. Wow. So I take just, this one with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, more, more than you normally. This is even to. less important or interesting <laughs> than our usual choice of topics. Okay. Yeah. So it's like. Well, it's a new. It's a brand new season. It's a brand new show. We got to keep expectations down down here. Yeah. For the listeners at home, I'm putting my hand right. close to the floor. If you're listening at home, Thomas's hand is very, very close to the down, floor. Down here. If we could get it below the floor, then yeah, maybe. I would, but I'd whoa! Have to go How did you go through the floor? <laughs> <I'd> have, <laughs> well, that was amazing. Know, uh, we'll get to my my secret abilities in a later. That'll develop throughout the season. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a twist. It's, yeah, we kind of are the Avengers for this show, but there's a twist coming up. It's like it starts out about a, a podcast about obscure things. It turns into like sort of an audio drama right. about someone discovering their superpowers. Right. Yeah. Is there a name for that genre? That would be way cooler. Like than the whatever. the blog, the the, the drama disguised as a blog. The thing that starts out like it's a normal sort of documentary style nonfiction thing, and then right. turns into. A narrative of some sort yeah what's the word for that yeah what's there's got to be a word for if that. you if you know write to us at info at obscuregummy.com okay so what is this glorious so, thing that you didn't even have to take notes about so once upon a time in the 1960s there was a filmmaker named jerry anderson and jerry was british and he made commercials, and he was going broke. And someone called him one day and said, Hey, Jerry, can you make us a children's TV show with puppets? And Jerry didn't want to work with puppets, but he said, sure. <laughs> so Jerry created some puppet shows, and he uh, wanted to make like adventure shows for kids because he thought they would sell well. Was he interested in kids stuff? He didn't want to work. He didn't with puppets, want to do, but he was into the kid. No, not really. Show part. That was just kind of. Oh, okay. His stepping stone. He wanted to make like dramas for adults. Right. But, uh, you know, obviously he was about to go bankrupt when right. he fell into this thing. So yeah, you take what you're given. What was he doing before, like up and just into... like commercials and stuff? Oh, okay, I see. Um. So he gets this deal. To make a puppet show that's, like, adventure-driven. And puppets aren't very, like, mobile. Right. They're on strings. These yeah. particular puppets were marionettes. Right. So he's like, well, we'll just add some, like, really futuristic vehicles to uh, make it super cool. And add some, like, motion. <laughs> and uh, it turns into this whole decade of different shows like shows that he made over the course of a decade that are with puppets but they're all like science fiction or fantasy or some like outlandish drama all like kids programming right and the style of the puppets is like semi-realistic like they're supposed to be human right and they they get really elaborate to the point that they look like realistic dolls 
<laughs> and it it uh, the visual effects are like an inspiration for visual effects people everywhere because they're so cutting edge and so this this these shows are playing out over the course of how long did you say a decade a decade so there was some success to them they were internationally very popular they're they're big in japan anywhere they speak english uh, except for america right uh, although they did have some broadcast in america um yeah so it becomes this internationally successful phenomenon he has these shows stingray thunderbirds captain scarlet and the misterons that become uh international success stories and they make him tons of money and he goes out of the puppet business he starts making adult dramas which is what he wanted to do the whole time the whole time yeah and he moves on and the popularity of these shows kind of wanes a little bit and uh do the shows continue in his absence no okay no but they're just sort of fading into the 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 style sort of fades away and he's kind of the only one doing it there's a few people imitating him but it kind of fades away uh fast forward 10 years later oh i guess i should say uh the style takes on the name super marionation super marionation he puts together the word super marionette and animation very cleverly. That is clever, yeah. It's kind so, of like what we're doing here at Obscurigami Nation. Mashing words together? Yeah. Obscurigami Nation. It's a very original concept, combining, <laughs> taking two words. Right. Combine them. Uh, the, the words that we put together, listeners, in case you missed it, are obscure, obscure and gami. Right. So fast forward ten years. Um, his career in live action didn't go so well. But there's kind of a resurgence of interest in his puppet shows and so he's trying to like capitalize on this and kick off a new wave of these shows super marionation super marionation hyper realistic puppets yeah with uh really cool special effects (laughs) and what i want to talk about today the main focus i could do a whole show on just super marionation but the focus i want to talk about today is uh a japanese uh, attempt at this obscure little subgenre of filmmaking. A Japanese attempt at super marionation. Yes. In, uh, in 1980, there's a guy named Go Nagai who's famous for his manga and his anime, none of which I've seen, um, but they're all out there. And if you're really into classic anime, he created a lot of the like giant robot type anime that was becoming really big at the end of the 70s in Japan. Yeah. Uh, but he decided he wanted to do, like, kind of a tribute series to Thunderbirds and to Super Marionation. The show is produced in 1980 uh, to no great fanfare. There's one season, and it's canceled. Uh, there was some talk about making a second season, but the, the warehouse where all the props and sets and everything was was burned down. So was burned down. Was burned down. <laughs> that was an act of... We don't know if it was... Uh, <laughs> was past tense. Right. We don't know if it was intentional or... Yeah. You know. We can only assume. There's a lot... Of, I hear there's a lot of shady business in the puppet TV show. I mean, there's... there's you know, arena, so. It's pretty dark. You never know. It's a pretty dark world, the puppet world. Yeah. 
So, so they made this show, and now it's 1983. What's it called? It's called X Bomber. X Bomber. And it actually doesn't make it through its original broadcast run in Japan. They made the whole. Thing, they made a whole season, but they don't even. But they don't all broadcast them, all of right. them because the ratings are so bad. Yeah. Well, uh, being opportunistic businessmen, they try to sell it internationally in Europe, and they do Starfleet. It's the same show; it's just dubbed yeah. in English and with new music. And Starfleet becomes a big hit in Britain. It's like a Saturday morning phenomenon. <laughs> this is three years later in 1983. So by this time, Jerry Anderson is trying to produce his own show that's trying to bring back the style. Yeah. Um, that's a similar kind of concept. And he's worried about being accused of copying these people who copied him. <laughs> so, but Starfleet is actually a lot more popular. And the the reason more, that more people... popular than any of Jerry Lewis's stuff ever was. <laughs> Jerry Way Anderson. more popular than Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. Ever was. <laughs> um Yeah, so it's a big hit in, in England. And if you watch it, it's kinda hard to see why, because the dub is not very good. So the basic story is it's set in the year two thousand nine hundred and ninety nine. Earth is recovering from like a third space war like a giant world war but in space and it's this big international thing an alien force comes out of nowhere basically eliminates earth's defenses is holding the earth hostage and asking them to turn over the f-01 and nobody on earth knows what the f-01 is but uh to to save the planet the generals of earth have to bring out this super starship that they've been building and the starship is piloted by three heroic young cadets just out of the academy. Right. Naturally. And this, you know, this wise guru-like uh, doctor who kind of runs the show. And uh, just for good measure, they also have this girl that tags along with them who's kind of mysterious. She was, like, born on Mars, and nobody knows her, her past. And she's got, like, this alien bodyguard. There's a robot... It's kind of like a Star Wars kind of cast, pretty, like, stereotypical, but they've got this awesome uh, thing. It's sort of like the X-Bomber is sort of a cross between the Millennium Falcon and an X-Wing, because mm-hmm. it's X-shaped, but it's also, like, bigger. Right. So, you know, it's like, it's got one up on Star Wars. This was made in, like, the wake of Star Wars, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. The, the influence of Star Wars is felt it's heavily throughout. strong, yeah. Yeah, it's like Star Wars meets Thunderbirds. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this show that is... A combination of these A combination different... of Thunderbirds, some Star Wars, it's puppets, it's got a mysterious girl from Mars. Mm-hmm. And An F-Zero One that nobody knows what F-Zero it is. F-Zero One, who kn- what is it? Who knows? Could be anything. One other important fact that you need to know before we go off on this journey into X-Bomber <laughs> is that in addition to uh, in addition to having this like hybrid Star Wars spaceship they also have three little fighters that like are attached to the body of the spaceship okay and when they launch the three cadets each fly one and they join together the three fighters to ah. make a giant robot 
Interesting. Called okay. the yeah. Die X. The Die X. All right. So yeah, giant robots. Is it like a mech type, like humanoid type robot? Sort of. I'll uh, I'll display a picture. Oh wow. So the head is a is a fighter plane. I see. And the okay. chest is a fighter plane. Right. And the legs are a fighter plane. <laughs> so the the theories for why this bizarre Japanese thing is so popular. For one thing, it had a lot of stuff that kids TV in the 80s didn't really have going for it. It had some new ideas that were kind of old hat in Japan, but hadn't really been translated to an English audience before. Right. It was at the time the time being 1983, the most accurately translated uh, Japanese TV show to an English audience. So it it retained a lot of its unique Japanese-ness so in a was, way that the English audience wasn't really familiar with. Right. So there would have been novelty there that wouldn't yeah. have existed in other... Also in something that is, as far as I know unique to this style of television program it has a complete story arc to the season okay there's like a beginning and an end right to it and it's serialized so it's basically like one big story that's broken into 26 chapters so it's kind of different it's kind of interesting it's a saturday morning hit the uh it's such a big hit that the british producers get on the phone and call japan and they're like, can we get another season of this? Because we're making money and, yeah. you know, we'll pay for another season. And they're like, sorry, it it's burnt, all been burned. The, the show burned to the ground. The show has been burnt. The entire cast is yeah. gone. It's it's an interesting little artifact. It's yeah. kind of fun uh, if you are interested in that sort of thing. It's very quirky and unique. And there's not a lot of other stuff like it. The puppets aren't are rod controlled from beneath rather than being... Marionettes. So it's so it's super rod control animation. Right. Yeah. It's sort of uh, a weird hybrid of the Muppets, Star Wars, and Thunderbirds, because they're controlled from beneath rather than so above. Jerry, Lu- not to be. Am I getting ahead of? I'm getting ahead of us ourselves. <laughs> Jerry Anderson. Jerry Anderson. Uh, there's a success or this show that's quite successful. And Jerry Anderson, around the same time, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. is wanting to like, get back into this. Yeah, and he does. He has a show that lasts for two seasons. Um, and there's kind of just a general resurgence of interest in mm-hmm. his shows as VHS starts to come on the scene. Right. Yeah. And eventually um, repeats of his shows Air. get shown on the BBC and it becomes like a cult classic in Britain. So Jerry Anderson goes on to to live a pretty successful life and doing the thing. be remembered for the thing that he did didn't, by accident. The, the thing that he did that he didn't really want to do. Yeah. Right. I think ultimately he kind of He came it. around to it. Well, yeah. obviously he didn't like I mean, there are some people who do things that they really hate, but he must not have hated it that much. Yeah, clearly not cuz he he went back he and seemed to be it into it. And, yeah, he actually remade one of his shows in um 3D animation towards the end of his life. Were his shows, you might have already said this, but were his shows big in Japan? 
Yeah. That's what led to... That's what led to the creation of X-Bomber. But X-Bomber didn't do well in Japan. No. That's the weird part. No. Not in its original run. it did well in... But it did extremely well in Britain. In Britain. And in France. And in France. Neither the... Neither... Neither did well in the U.S. Yeah. None of these shows have really exported to America. Right. I think that's because of a prejudice... Against puppetry. Against puppetry. What in were, America? What were Americans watching at that time? Uh, like, Nash and <laughs> and like. Uh, are you talking about uh, when Jerry Anderson was in his heyday, yeah, that or era? When... Well, I guess around the era of the post Star Wars era of TV. What would have that been? Around what was that? That was like. Yeah, I mean, Mash would be on. And like, what's that show called? What the fan and Mr. T. The A team. <laughs> yeah, the A team. <laughs> yeah, the A team would still be on TV. Of, that kind of crap. Um, but the like Saturday morning stuff that stuff. would have been competing with it would have been like would have been yeah Thundercats yeah uh, He Man right those kind of shows. Why do you think Americans are prejudiced against puppets? I think because Sesame Street has been a big success here, and it creates this idea that they're for children. Well that all puppetry is like Sesame Street. Okay. So there's a... So it's for children, and also, if it's not like Sesame Street or the Muppets, right? we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So, and especially, there's a thing called uh, the Uncanny Valley. Right. That you may have heard of, which is, uh, it turns up a lot now with computer graphics. The, the theory is that if you're creating something realistic to look like a human, you start at, on the scale being very abstract, being like a smiley face drawn right. on a piece of paper or something. And people are willing to accept that and anthropomorphize the smiley face. And as you continue up the scale from abstraction to realism, you there's... Hit a point. You hit a point where... Uh, Things are not quite real enough, yeah, but a little bit too, too real, yeah, to the point where it gets creepy, yeah. And I think a lot of these shows fall into that category for people because they're they're intended to be humanoid characters. It's not like Yoda or something, right. which is a puppet that people tend to accept, yeah, because he's not supposed to be human. He's more abstract. So you have these less abstracted characters that are still right. not quite human. It can create that uncanny valley trigger. But obviously the French and the Brits were and the Japanese with mm-hmm. with Andersons are willing to suspend were, their disbelief are willing more. to suspend their disbelief. I feel and like, other countries too, like South Africa right. around this time had their own I feel series like in the same vein. That's true to a certain that whole dichotomy it's Animation is obviously popular in the United States, but there's a weird thing where animation almost exists primarily in like arrested development in the US where it's like it's a kid's thing. Yeah. It's just or it's like we can only portray it in these certain types of Yeah. styles. Well, it's ways. like Disney. Right. You know, yeah. Disney, Disney animation reigns supreme yeah. over all other forms so we of have, animation. We have these, like, monolithic... We have the monolithic puppet category, which is, like, the Muppets in the U.S. Right. And then anything that is deviating from that 
yeah. is struggling from some, for some reason. And I think the same thing is true in comics. Because, yeah, like, the superhero true. genre yeah. reigns supreme, like yeah. DC and Marvel, even though there's Dark Horse and there's all these right. independent, there's Vertigo, there's all these independent publishers that yeah. produce comics that are different or nonfiction, and which is starting to gain more traction now. Yeah. In the, like, post-Neil Gaiman world. <laughs> but, you know, or post-graphic novel, I yeah. guess I should say. Well, and I, I feel like... I feel like media consumption is just in general becoming more multicultural with the help of the internet slowly. But uh yeah. So I'm hoping that there'll be a huge Starfleet revival and it'll be like a multicultural touchstone. I feel like it's just a matter of a net like Netflix grabbing hold of of right. uh, a show. Which Could be. wouldn't be hard for them to do. I mean I mean Netflix is remaking uh, The Dark Crystal. Jim Henson's fantasy attempt. So, yeah. depending on how that does, it could Netflix change is, the perception of puppetry. In Netflix the world. is currently the largest producer of content anywhere, anywhere, of wow. anybody. So, of any content, or of, just of of like like television, movies, TV, and movies. Yeah. So, well, as a final coda uh, to X Bomber, uh, there's a guitarist by the name of Brian May. He played for a little band you may have heard of called Queen. Oh, yeah. Uh, and around this time, he had uh, a little boy. Let me try that again. <clears throat> it's a hard word to say. Boy. He had a little boy. And uh, they used to get up every morning and eat their cereal. And watch X-Bomber. And watch X-Bomber in, on Saturday mornings. And uh, Brian May, who's actually an astronomer and loves science fiction and all things science-y, really loved this quirky Japanese show. And uh, did a cover version of the theme song uh, on an EP that he recorded with Eddie Van Halen. So there, there is actually an Eddie Van Halen, Brian May version of the Starfleet theme song. Wow. Uh, which we can sample if you would like. Yeah, let's, let's have a little bit of it. a lot of good it's a lot of docking sequences yeah which is kind of a theme in in super mary nation because the puppets themselves don't do much right there's a lot of like launch sequences and <laughs> elaborate uh construction of giant robots the diax has a lot of weapons you can shoot x's out of that x on his face it's too bad um you know that jerry lewis burned down that uh that uh warehouse or whatever with all the stuff in it because they could have made more seasons and maybe they could have made more maybe it would have been wildly popular who knows what it what it could have been yeah so there you have it starfleet x bomber x bomber starfleet hugely influential uh in the life of on the making of uh Star Fox, Stark, Stark Band? Is that the name of it? Star Fox? That's all I got. Um, I could talk about it more. People but. should go to the show notes at obscuragami.com and, or just the show notes, I guess, are in your podcast thing too. 
But anyway, click on the link to that video and watch it because your life will you be You want to see Brian May's disembodied head floating in space. Singing. Singing. A theme song to an 80s kids show. Yeah, that was inspired by other weird shows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just how can you resist? Yeah. Click it now. Click, click now. Click now. Use promo code youtube.com to get a free free access to the video to find out the four things you're missing about about uh x bomber x bomber the five things you never knew about queen and science fiction puppetry here's my question did they ever do you ever find out what the fo1 or thing is or whatever uh you'll to to find the secret of the f01 you'll you'll have to watch the show you have to watch the show it's available on dvd but it's from, not a, uh, it's not like a cliffhanger ending that i i'm not there? gonna you're no not gonna, spoilers i'm not gonna say Ugh. there's not gonna be any spoilers on uh all right on our podcast spoiler free here at the obscure gummy <laughs> we're spoiler Studios. free here at uh obscure gummy <laughs> hq we've concluded the portion of the program where we talk about a topic where we talk about something interesting. So now you can turn it off. When did we, uh, did we talk about something interesting? Oh. Well, I, this is awkward. (laughs) 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 I told you to make sure the topic was interesting. I I don't always, it's hard to come up with topics and they can't always be interesting. No, I'm not a judge of what's interesting or not. Sometimes they can be boring. You have to figure that out for yourself. But it's, all right. It's well, it's still more interesting than cockroach milk, I think. Right. <laughs> well, it, who knows? We'll see. It's whatever it was. I guarantee you, it's going to be more interesting than this segment <laughs> that we insist on doing, which is the random Wikipedia article segment. The world's least interesting segment. <laughs> if you're still listening, why? Why in, are you still listening? In this in this segment, we go to Wikipedia, we hit the random button, and then we just. We mispronounce things. Yeah, that's generally what happens. Generally, but so what do you got, what do you got for us today, man? I'm looking for the random button. <laughs> Someone at Wikipedia uh, listens the to the show and was <laughs> like, "This this must end." They removed, okay, here we go. Remove the random button. All right, the uh, the randomizer on Wikipedia. Okay. Let's roll the dice. Yeah, hit hit the button. Hit the doodads. The mystery of. The moss-covered, the mystery at the moss-covered mansion. This is our first book. Uh, is it? I think it is. But it is. Uh, this is, I think, the first book that we've brought up in the in the obscure comedy, uh, random Wikipedia article section. Section. It's a book by Carolyn Keene. Uh, the mystery at the moss-covered mansion is the 18th volume in the Na- Nancy 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 Drew. <laughs> Mystery Stories series. Oh, I remember. Published I remember. by uh, Grosset and Dunlap. Dunlap. <laughs> I can't even pronounce. Like, I can't talk either. I can't even pronounce like a we're, normal We're so word. dumbfounded by Starfleet that we just... Uh, it was first published in 1941. The original text was written by ghost writer Mildred Wirt Benson, based upon a plot outline from the Stratmeyer Syndicate co-writer Harriet Stratmeyer Adams. The book's title was changed to Mystery of the Moss-Covered Mansion when it was revised in 1971 because the, st- 
the story is completely different and not much of the investigation takes place at the title location. What's the their original name of the book? Uh, the original name was Mystery at Mystery at the Moss Covered Mountain. The book's title was changed to it doesn't say what the original there you go, folks. A Nancy Drew novel. I uh, I don't know much about Nancy Drew. Who's the the? Is Carolyn Keene an actual person, or is she a pseudonym? A pseudonym. I don't know. I assume she's an actual person. That should we uh, should we consult an expert for this? Uh... Carolyn Keene is the pseudonym of the authors of the Nancy Drew mystery stories and the Dana Girl mystery stories. Girls, Dana girls. Both produced by the Stratmeyer Syndicate. She's she is she is a real person. No, it's a she's pseudonym. a pseudonym it's a of pseudonym the authors of the authors. Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't realize that was a thing, like a book or like a publishing company just producing a whole series and then having a yeah a, a pseudonym. That was the case with uh, Tom Swift. Did you ever read Tom Swift? Um, no. It was a similar. It was similar to like the Hardy Boys, only right. he was an inventor. Or the Hardy was that the case with the Hardy Boys? I, I'm not sure. Did some one person write all those Hardy Boy things? Because they're by the same publisher, right? The Hardy Boys Hardy. and Nancy Drew. If only we had an expert on Nancy Drew, collective, like a Nancy Drew fan written here by in the ghost, studio. Written by ghostwriters under the collective pseudonym Franklin W. Dixon. No wonder. You know, as a kid, I was always kind of like, I was kind of like, this guy, this guy is insanely prolific. Like, mm-hmm. you'd go to the library or the there's book, a lot of them. bookstore or something, and you just look at hundreds of, like, blue Hardy book Boys books covers with the blue thing at the top that says yeah. Hardy Boys, and they all say Franklin W. Dixon on top of them. And I was Tower like, treasure. That is one prolific dude. Dude. Turns out, not really. <laughs> mind unblown. My twelve-year-old, my twelve-year-old mind is completely unblown right now. Wow. Hey wow. Thomas, do we have an expert on Nancy Drew that we can consult? As I've brought up like maybe seven times now. Yes. Hello. I would just like to state that most girls who grow up reading Nancy Drew books know that Carolyn Keene is a pseudonym, and that there are multiple people writing the books. And we're fine with, fine with it. Apparently, girls are smarter than boys because I had no idea that Franklin W. Dixon was not a person <laughs> writing the Hardy Boys. <laughs> yeah, same. Also, if I remember correctly, the Moss Covered Mansion has, like, wild, large cats in captivity in it. Daggum. Which is really interesting. Do, do you know the original title? You probably read the 1971 revision. Yeah. You're not a true fan. Yeah. Now, that would be something for the Obscure Gami podcast is find, track down that original book. I'm just going to Google it. Before the 1971 revision. And uh, bingo. I'd also like to say that I checked out that book from the White House, Tennessee Library. Shout out to Sherry Tackett. I'm sure she listens or I'm sure she or Sherry's listening, right? Or or somebody she knows (laughs) listens to the show. Probably so. Here's a 1951, a 1941 edition that says the mystery at the Moss Covered Mansion. Did they change it from the mystery at the Moss Covered Mansion to the mystery of the Moss Covered Mansion? Is that what happened? Because they were saying most of the book doesn't actually take place at the mansion, which is part of why they changed the name. Maybe we just didn't notice that. Yes, I think you're right. Aha. Mystery solved. The mystery of the mystery... Of the moss-covered mansion. I think it was a panther. 
There's like a there's like a panther on the cover of yeah. one of the editions. Yeah. Next thing you're gonna tell me, Louis Lamar wasn't a real person. Louis Lamar was a real person, I think. But how do you know? I mean, I don't. Any author could be suspect now. If Franklin W. Dixon isn't real, Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Mark Hemingway, Twain, William Sh- Faulkner, William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is a theory. Wow. Well, Thomas. Well, that's uh, that's I'd say that's a that's an episode. It's it's been, I won't say it's been an exciting start to a new season. Well, but yeah. it has been a start. But like I said, that's good. We want to you know reintroduce people lightly. Yeah. If we came in, guns, blazing hot, guns blazing for season two, people would be guns a blazing. Pe- because here's the thing. You don't want people to get this idea in their head. They're like, oh, a new season. Maybe they've increased production value. Maybe they're putting in more effort into no. the show. Maybe the topics are more researched. Maybe there will actually be some educational if anything, entertainment value. anything, it's going to get worse from here. No. This is like a network TV show in like its seventh season. It's starting to get worn out. It's starting to get tired. That was our first season. That was our first season. Now <laughs> it's like we're just doing it because it pays the actors' bills, except we don't make any money from it. Right. So Nobody's watching. The nobody's Nielsen ratings watching. are way down. Yeah. So We jumped the shark yeah. a long time ago. Five seasons ago. Go to obscuregami.com. Mm-hmm. Check out the show notes. Click on the links and watch the YouTube video. Send us Send us your regards. email. Info at obscuragami.com. Give us a call. Whatever it is you do. And uh, and I guess we'll see you again next time. Yeah. Watch some X-Bomber, read some Nancy Drew, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.